Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Kent. Good morning. Uh, afternoon. Uh, You've returned. I have. I have. Yes. You're back. <laughs> Hanging. You resurrected my son. Hanging around like a bad smell this morning. Stop it. It's great to have you aboard. Kent, of course, is AKA the panel beater. Panel beater. One of the greatest, greatest terms in radio. Panel beater. Yeah. You should be on late nights. Hello, panel beater. Taking you through. To the wee hours. Oh, that, that would that would kill Radio Fever. Here's some more Bob Seger. <laughs> no, I'm terrible. Sorry. Oh, you're in another room, so you can't hit me. <laughs> All right. I thought it'd be interesting to talk to somebody from the industry today. So we have Michael Buschetta, uh, Buschetta actually, uh, from Worksmith, also co-owner of Bar Liberty Capitano and Falco Bakery, uh, not to mention Tip Jar, which is uh, a great charity that's happening. And um, he was uh, part of a webinar which I heard, uh, when was that on? I think it was Wednesday, September the 16th. It was called Saving the Bars of Melbourne, Kent. Saving the Bars. Saving the Bars of Melbourne. So specifically about the bars and how they deal with a post-COVID COVID world. And um, who was on there? Zara Madrison, co-owner of Made in the Shade, you know, Everly. Uh, Tash Conte owner of Black Pearl. God bless you. I wish I was having a Sazerac at your place now. Uh, Michael Buschetta, as I said, co-owner of Bar Liberty Capitano. Uh, and uh, Pat Nurse moderated it. And it was really sobering, I suppose. <laughs> you know, to, sorry to, to resort to such a, a cheap pun, um, but it really, really was. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a few things that are... Uh, going to be happening one of the the terrible things that will happen is the deferred rent yeah right um so maybe we might just oh, take a deep breath and get a little bit serious we are going to talk to michael about that we will go to market we will see john awesome for all those people he's going, been in fine form recently i've he, been listening he has well he had to you know he had a pretty interesting sunday last sunday with all the demonstrations that were happening at the yeah. queen victoria market and then something uh, something completely different um, and for a very first, the very first time for a food show, we have Professor Marcus White, Professor of Urban Design. <laughs> huh? It's what, that's what you come to food shows for. See these synergies that are happening? <laughs> uh, but no, there's, there's method to this madness. Um, uh, and I thought we'd, it'd be good to get um, Professor Marcus to comment on the proposals that have been put forward by the government Comrade Dan, etc., uh, regarding the New York model of the answer is outdoors, which is pretty much it, isn't it? As long as you lock in the weather. Uh huh. <laughs> oh yeah, that. What town are we in? Melbourne. Uh, but hey, I guess look, if if New Yorkers can eat out in summer, yeah, in one of the most oppressive places, you know, yeah. uh, climates around, because it's you know the one of the great catchphrases of New York is. It's not the heat. It's the 
I don't know. Humidity. Humidity. Humidity, right. that's what they all go on about. Okay. So, yeah, well, I had a food question. You know how uh-huh. people say there are dog people and cat people? I, you know, and I, that's, I know. And, and I suppose there's a Venn diagram of the people. That, yeah, you know, yeah, there's probably both you know, cool. There's probably um, some households that have a bit of both. Yeah. Um, by, and you, and by often households. The dog, Often the dog-cat binary is a euphemism for all sorts of divisions we see around us. Yes. Is there a division Mm. between people who prepare their mash by roasting their sweet potatoes or potatoes compared to those who prepare their mash by boiling and mashing? Wow. You're trying to set up a division within our society, aren't you? create conflict. You are. Okay. The, the people beating each other over their heads. No! <laughs> These were the deep thoughts I had in ISO cooking last night. Yeah, well, you, what, what, okay, what were you making? You made yourself a really lovely shepherd's pie. That's right. Shepherd's pie with mm-hmm. a little bit of carrot in there, you said. And carrot a and parsnip. parsnip. Yep. So, oh, would have been a sweet thing. <laughs> you got the sweetness up. Oh, very sweet. And, and normally um, it just has a, a layer of mashed potato over the top. So uh, you've already been a little bit iconoclastic and... Uh, Provocative <laughs> by going with the sweet. Yeah. Are there potato people and sweet potato people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? I mean, there would have been people going, "Oh my god, what, what, what is this? The, a shepherd's pie is an orange." <laughs> you would have freaked them out anyway with that. I mean, um, I think it's if it did it taste good. Oh, it did. Yeah, it's valid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I guess there that's- you go. Um, <clears throat> I can see um, there's um, probably advantages in doing both. If you obviously roast the potatoes. Did you roast the potatoes? Did you say you said you did. No, I went with the um, boil option last night. Did you peel them before you did it? I did. Yeah, see, the only thing that, that's the only thing I could think of is that if you boil the potato, a sweet potato, it, would have, it might have taken on a fair bit of water, so it might have made it a little bit wet. Yeah. Was it a bit wet? The, yeah, your mash? good point. Yep. Um, so maybe if you are going to boil, maybe don't peel them and then peel afterwards so that you ah. you, you don't get that absorption. Because, you know, you get crazy French people, you know, <laughs> talk about the, the beautiful mashed potato I do. Um, a lot of them won't even boil the potatoes. They'll roast them on salt. Right. You know, so that there's no, no water going in there whatsoever. So far as whether you roast or you don't roast, I reckon ah. it's like... <clears throat> you'll get an extra layer of flavour because of the caramelizations and your potatoes and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. you'll get more depth. And if you were going to tell me which one would I have, just I'd go, yeah, I'd probably roast it. Um, but either, either is right. Hmm. I okay. Reckon. Phew. Does that help? Well, I just hope we haven't called, you know, family, you know, conflict Ru- people going. Ructions. Yeah, ructions. Yes, ructions over the over the... <laughs> Over the uh, shepherd's coo- pie, over the Coomera bro. <laughs> yeah. Don't you be hitting each other, Coomera. As I mentioned before, um, I was uh, I went to Saving the Bars of Melbourne. It was a webinar series that was put on by Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, and gosh, haven't they done a great job in uh, providing information to everybody through these times? And it was a very, very interesting panel. As I mentioned before, Zara uh, Madison from. Uh, Made in the Shade, uh, co-owner of uh, the Everly, uh, Tash Conde, owner of the Black Pearl, and our guest that we have on today, Michael Buschetta, co-owner of Bar Liberty, Capitano. God, it seems like Capitano is um, yeah, part of the fabric of uh, our town. It's only been around for a couple of years. CEO and, of course, the co-founder of Worksmith, as well as Tip Jar. Michael, a very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us here on 3RRR. 
Good afternoon, Cam. How are you? Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, it looks like uh, a lovely day, but uh, unfortunately we have to talk about some kind of heavy, heavy matters um, that, uh, that are sort of in the inbox, shall we say. Yeah, um, in the inbox. Uh, Michael, first of all, we should probably uh, tip our lids to Melbourne Food and Wine Festival for putting on uh, putting on the webinar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a, a great chat and uh, really great to, to chat with uh, Zara and, and Tash along with Pat to really look at uh, the rebuilding of bars out of COVID and what I think is part of the industry that's been somewhat forgotten. Uh, through COVID and definitely underrepresented at a state and national level. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess we could sort of, uh, if we look at a hospitality in general, it's sort of the, um, it's sort of, I don't know, the the younger sibling or something like that mm. that doesn't get the attention in in a way. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely lumped in uh, mm. to bars and clubs, and we we even saw in stage two when we were allowed to reopen uh, our restaurants to limited capacity. Yes. Small. Cocktail bars uh, like Black Pearl or the Everly or, or the like were lumped in with larger bars and clubs and weren't allowed to reopen, even though they'd be more likened to a wine bar or a restaurant in terms of table service and service style and capacity, uh, and they weren't allowed to open throughout that time. And then even past that, weren't represented uh, through negotiations for stimulus and support. Mm, you know, the, the thing that it... Uh, it sort of seems like I was just resorting to a cheap gag, but, you know, the whole thing, Saving Bars of Melbourne, the the talk itself was incredibly sobering. Uh, it really, really was. And there were a lot of things that were brought up that were sort of seen as threats to the continuation of the industry. Um, one which has been talked about with other people who I've spoken to in the industry is first of all deferred rent. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the, that's a huge one, isn't it? Prolonging the inevitable, unfortunately, yeah. when we when we do deferred rent, and it seemed that the the government put uh, this, the beginnings of negotiations with landlords in place, but haven't really followed through from that. Yeah, I and, remember that. There, there, there were yeah. there were there was talk uh, about yeah negotiations, and no one was going to be allowed to be evicted. But that moratorium is either finished or is about to finish soon. Is that right? It's been it's been extended for us um, out until until March. But what uh, we're March. what we're looking at is <laughs> that although yeah, it, it's a cliff a cliff dive. Yeah. But what we're looking at is when that happens is that these people will potentially be kicked out very quickly. And when we're arguing about reopening our businesses, we also lose our ability to neg- renegotiate uh, rent uh, reductions, even though we might be opening to no one coming into our premises. So whilst we all want to eventually get open, there is that um, inevitable thing to face as well. Um, I want to move into probably one of the most important things that kept being brought up by the panellists, which is obviously JobKeeper. But one of the – and we need to speak about that – but it seems funny if there's one thing that was a a theme – in the restaurant and bar industry as sort of almost a trope, it was uh, the, uh, well, the, the landlord, the, the rapacious landlord would be, have to be one of them. And, and if these 
landlords at the end of this, if they kick everybody out, it begs the question, who on earth is going to fill in the space? Yeah, I think it's incredibly short-sighted from so many landlords uh, and, and owners of these sites whereby they're not willing to come to the table for negotiation. Mm. And even for one of, my, one of my businesses that won't, won't be named, right. we, we, did, we didn't hear from our landlords for the first three months of COVID. Really? Even though we try to cap, contact them, contact them about <gasps> having this negotiation. Really? No word <laughs> until there was something released from government. Uh, uh, so I imagine there's many people in the industry, and I'm actually part of uh, some mediation happening next week for not one of my businesses, but someone in our in our community. Really? Uh, that that haven't offered them any rent reduction and don't plan to. Um, really? And what we're seeing, yeah, it's incredible. And the short sightedness is incredible because, yes, as as you know, that we we were in a recession. We're going to be reopening the hospitality and the economy in a uh, deeper recession. Into a deeper recession. Yet these landlords are willing to risk losing that business and potentially having it empty for a prolonged period of time. And pre-COVID, we already had a glutted space in Melbourne mm. uh, and surround, and now this is just going to, uh, I guess, double down on that. So it will certainly be uh, plenty of empty spaces to go in, but not many people to, to fill them, as you say. Yeah, and that was actually that was something another thing that came out of it. It's the, they said that you know I think Pat sort of postulated the thing of you know you've got your your, your people um, in say I don't know second tier management that have been working in for a while and they sort of see, say to themselves maybe I should be opening up a new place to to which uh, the resounding thing from the panelists was man you'd be you'd be crazy to open up a new place now. Yeah, I think so. Crazy uh, certainly comes with the territory of hospitality, though. So, yeah, and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll, bar owners and... Yeah, and, in general, and, definitely. And, and dare I say it, the, uh, the bartenders themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're, when you're incredibly passionate about something and, and you're mm. ready to take that leap, we will see some incredible things come out of it in terms of development of the industry and uh, innovation around concepts and, and how venues operate. And... All of these people, you know, the people in management positions that aren't owners or you know, sous chefs or, or the like, yeah. are ready to, to take that leap. They they may walk into something that's very very cheap, um, and whilst it'd still be risky, they've also got a little bit of a runway um, to pot- potentially reduce rent and fully fitted out restaurants. So I think it will be inevitable that you have a lot of these people jump ship and, and jump into these venues. So yeah, we we probably will see some of these. Uh, new new businesses, but wow, what a, what a, what a time to be starting off something! And you're looking at the moment with I don't know. The, it came out. I wrote this down because it, it just staggered me that all these businesses are a lot of your businesses around um, yeah. are existing on about eight or nine percent of usual business. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. right. And yeah. the the other thing that for People that maybe if you have a continuation of employment still going on, just just spare a thought for all the people in restaurants and bars and having to detail and build new business models on the fly every week. It's almost like every week you have to change everything and just how exhausting that has been. Yeah, it's been incredibly exhausting. I've mentioned, I've mentioned a few times over the last few months that it felt, it felt like between the four businesses, that every week we're starting a new business in some way or a new yeah. strategy or a new plan, new project, new collaboration, new 
new plan uh, in, in so many respects, whether it be online or whatever else, takeaway. Mm. And it is uh, incre- <laughs> incredibly difficult to do it in such trying circumstances. Yeah. Uh, we're really lucky. Like, we've worked very hard to build a, a great following over the last five years since our first venue, Barlady, opened. So we've been able to develop these concepts quite quickly and get them to market and have done okay throughout this time. Mm. What worries me is the businesses that are quite new just trying to get into the industry before COVID hit uh, and don't have that following or they're a, you know, a mum and dad-owned uh, venue uh, anywhere in Melbourne or Victoria that don't have the resources that we have available to us or the community around us that want to support us ongoing. So the scary thing is, is all these venues that, that don't have uh, that resource available to them. Yeah, gosh. And the other thing that just kept coming up um, by all three of you is sort of seeing as this is the most important thing and I'll just get you to comment. I'll just say the word, uh, JobKeeper. Yeah, JobKeeper. JobKeeper, yes. It's it's slightly frustrating, more than slightly. Um, Very frustrating that in Victoria uh, our JobKeeper will be reduced significantly at the end of this month and then reduced again uh, into the next quarter in accordance to the rest of the nation who uh, have not been as impacted as businesses in Victoria and Melbourne particularly. Is this, can I just sort of say, is this some sort of payback for the fact that there's a Labor government and Dan Andrews? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it does beg the question, doesn't it? Why? Uh, Yeah, it's hard not to think. Why are these punitive uh, steps? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to think what would have been if uh, a Labor government was in uh, in power uh, at the national level or yeah. vice versa, and it was uh, or, uh, liberal, liberal in, in Victoria um, because, you know, there was, there was definitely not consensus from a national level that we should be doing lockdown as we have. Mm. And whilst, whilst uh, they were viewing it from an economic standpoint, uh, from a health standpoint, I don't think there's any argument that it hasn't worked looking at the numbers today in the last week. What are the numbers the today? Number, haven't seen the numbers today. Four, four, 14. Oh, no way. So, really? Which is phenomenal. Oh, obviously. rock. Yeah, that's um, great. So whether you're, on the left, when you're, whether you're on the left or the right, you can't argue that uh, from a health perspective it's worse. Isn't it terrible but, when science gets politicised, though? Yeah, it's really sure. scary. We, we obviously see it all the time in climate and everything. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. But it, it is certainly time to look at it from an economic standpoint and... Uh, what I try and think about as a business owner is three, five years from now, when we look back and think that opening hospitality four to eight weeks earlier, will, will that say, would it, did that save my restaurant or did that save the industry? Oh, yeah. Or will the restructuring of the stimulus, in particular JobKeeper, save the industry ongoing? And what do you think now? Uh, it's certainly, <laughs> wait, uh, wait, wait. Give certainly us a preview. Because, yes, we're, we're not making too much uh, from takeaway and delivery, yeah. um, but we are in a rhythm now, and we understand what open potentially looks like uh, over the next few months. Yeah. But to the contrary of that, we do need to restructure stimulus around JobKeeper, and the the minimum would be keeping at the same rate ongoing uh, for Victoria right till the end of the year. But who's uh, who's advocating for us and for that position though? That's yeah. that's the thing because because Albo's not doing it. I haven't heard no, anything from no, the Labor Albo, Party. Albo has gone missing. Albo's yeah, he's in the woods somewhere. This is, for me, this is the exact time for him to shine, and he's kind of yeah, where are you? Of the earth. Yeah. And 
in from a state level, uh, the industry associations are doing a really great job of bashing Dan right now. Yeah, because the, and if you look, if we be brutally honest here, and I'm sure there's nobody listening from a restaurant and catering association, but they're <laughs> they're a pretty right wing organisation, aren't they? Well, Come on. I always thought it's, it's Let's like, yeah. call I a spade a spade. Yeah, absolutely. I always thought associations were born out of you know, the, move, the union movements, and you would think that would be more labour-leaning. Mm. But what we're seeing is uh, more alliance to our Liberal Party rather uh, than Labor, and that's why we're seeing the current bashing of Dan Andrews around unlocking hospitality. Yeah. I agree. We, we do need to unlock hospitality in a safe way. Yes. But why aren't we uh, pushing federal government to not only keep JobKeeper at the same level ongoing, but the, the thing that people have kind of turned their back on, backs on, apart from a few key people in the industry, is getting visa workers oh, back on nationwide. Because yeah. it's the most heartbreaking thing. I've had to let a few people go in a couple of the businesses, but also had to pay direct uh, out of our pockets to keep them employed. Um, and we've, got, we've had people that have been here five-plus years paid tax that whole time yes, yes. and then suddenly not allowed to uh, get on to JobKeeper. And these people have set up their lives. To be told that to, to go home is a ridiculous notion. They've set their lives up here. Some of them have children. Some of them have mortgages. It's, it's phenomenal. So, And a lot of it seems to just stem from petty ideological notions. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll say that again, petty ideological notions. I mean, you know, the, the very fact, and I'll just mention again, or just remind the listeners again, that um, the miscalculation that was first done with JobKeeper, where well, they... That they, was the most, the most ridiculous thing. The, where the it was... Accounting, it was accounting mistake we've ever seen in our nation. So we were already <laughs> prepared to go with that amount, or Treasury yeah. had signed off yeah. on that amount, and then they go, oh, no, hang about, we found all this money at the back of the couch, which we can put back in the bank, um, and no correspondence will be entered into. And that, that just seems... Um, uh, it gets, it, it gets back to that short-sightedness that we, we spoke of before. Well, it's as stupid as the mistake itself, because you had the chance to show the Australian people what you're willing to do mm. with what that money was set aside for. And I was looking at stats around this, and it would have uh, more than paid for the visa workers in, uh, especially the hospitality exactly, industry. Exactly. Yes. Um, it would have built built enough housing for uh, every every person that's sleeping on the street right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yet we were, we were willing to just kind of hide what happened and, and put that aside, and, and hasn't really been spoken about since. And this is where they, they've been pretty successful. Think. That haven't they, Michael? Yeah. Where's Elbow right now coming out against that? Is there anybody advocating? Who is advocating and what are the chances that we can get um, this done? Because the thing, and I say that and deliberately because I remember who was it? Zara said uh, there's going to be people that won't be able to pay their rent. I think Tash said that too. There'll be people that won't be able to have a roof over their heads because of this uh, knocking back of, of job keepers. So there are real, real ramifications for people with this. Hundred percent, and and not to to forget some of um, looking at small businesses in hospitality. A lot of these are owner operator run, mm. so the reduction of JobKeeper directly affects the business owner's life as well in terms of their day to day money coming in for their personal lives. So we'll we'll see not only their businesses suffer, but also close and also their their livelihoods at home as well. And this is a frustrating thing: is that we we don't have any plan in place 
to support these people throughout the next six months. No, we, we, tra- we trying to reopen the industry. Yeah, we're just going to be reactive, you know, mm-hmm. and just try and put band aids and yeah. Yeah, I think there's been some some great people in the industry that have really stood up. Danny Valentin has been great. He's obviously been on the show quite a bit. Danny Valentin, um, my and, God, and yes. Done, has done some great work around visa workers. Um, huge amount of signatures on petitions and the like, but nothing's been listened to. Yeah. Because they think they can get away with yeah. it. Because I think they, yeah. they think it's just the apathy of the general population that doesn't give a about visa workers anyway. And they can get yeah. away. And, and then they can get away with it. And we're already seeing it. I've got, I've had friends and, and colleagues that have left the country because they've had to go home because they don't get supported. And these are people, as I said, that have been here for years. Uh, it's so important to the fabric of our industry. Like my, my father came here uh, in you know, the, the '60s, and his first job was at Jimmy Watson. And Whoa! He, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And he, uh, that was his first job. He worked there for years, and we see that time and time again. Uh, these these people that have, have contributed to industry, uh, opened great venues and, and developed um, great culture in, in our food uh, <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, yet we're, we're really quickly to turn our back backs on them. So what I'm worried about is, whilst I said there'll be some great things coming out from uh, innovation in concepts and venues, what I'm worried about is the progression of uh, other cultures in food in Australia because of what's happened during COVID. Yes. Yeah. Well, we might, um, I don't know, I think maybe we might check in with you soon. Um, and in the in the meantime, I don't know, there'll be a lot of people, and I'll put myself cheerfully in that thing because I'm, I'm dependent on JobKeeper at the moment. I have no work whatsoever, just so people know where I'm at. Um, and, uh, yeah, there doesn't seem to be anybody batting uh, for these people, these businesses, and it's a little bit alarming to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think the fragmentation of the whole industry uh, is coming to light here and what we're yeah. really interested through Worksmith is bringing these people together in some way um, and not just for today but for the future because unfortunately when once we do get through COVID there will always be something else to tackle at the other end of the industry. Yeah, there will be. Uh, I've got uh, another 45 seconds for you, buddy. Now you want to quickly, you wanted to mention... Uh, tip jar might be an interesting uh, one to you wanted to mention that yeah absolutely so we started tipjarfund.org uh, uh, which is a, a fund that contributes to a number of different initiatives that were born out of COVID in the hospitality industry uh, to help people that aren't supported through this just like visa workers that we've mm. discussed um, and we've got a number of products we've got tip jar Negroni which is uh, widely available now uh, via the website uh, as well as in retail, as well as tip jar lager with stomping grounds. Um, and we've sold, I think, over 300 cases. So that is ticking along nicely. Uh, raised just over $20,000, and we're really looking to, to pump that up over the next few months to support these initiatives ongoing. Yeah, good. And people can find that. Just do the Goog search for tip jar. We'll do it. Tip, tip yeah, jar tip Australia. Tipjarfund.org. Tipjarfund.org. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being part of that uh, webinar, which uh, first made me sort of sit bolt upright as I was watching it. I'll tell you what, I needed a Negroni afterwards. Yes, well, they're double served, and trust me, I had my whole one to myself. <laughs> yes, yeah, just like, ah, how can I do that? Um, keep in touch, buddy, and um, we will see what happens. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Cam. Have a uh, great day. Pleasure. John, 
at the Queen Victoria Market. G'day. Good afternoon. This could be one of the shortest market reports we're going to do, mate. But uh, well, we can deal with that. We can deal with that. Um, first of all, uh, you had a little bit of a commotion, which we talked about last week. Uh, any repeat of that this week? Uh, no, we've been rather lucky. The commotion happened up the top end last week, but today, federal police and um, the normal boys in blue have been patrolling around. Wow. Uh, the helicopter was only hovering around for a few minutes, but we haven't seen any problems, and hopefully, we will not. Yeah, well, that's uh, that sounds like a, a, a good thing. Uh, in the meantime, one of the things that uh, uh, doesn't make me despair, but I'm a little bit sad about, is that uh, um, I'm really missing out on spring, and I'm missing out on spring uh, with the great produce that comes through the market. Uh, spe- I want to make you jealous. Oh Let's God! Go on. You just frightened a whole bunch of pigeons that flew away. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's no, a big more, thing of cooey rup asparagus you just shaken. Yeah, no, no, these no. are my beautiful little magenta bolotis that I just shelled. So it was good timing for you to ring me now. Really? Because um, I bolotti. bought some of these beautiful bolotis and they were on the riper side. Yes. And I said, well, if I don't sell them, I know where they're going. And half of them end up ending up in my freezer. They're going to Franca and say, Franca, yeah. do something beautiful with this. Of course, this is uh, John's wife who... Uh, yeah who, uh, through thick and thin, looks after this man and feeds him and makes him strong. Definitely. And we, we've <laughs> taken our lives in our own hands and we've asked her to make some handmade fettuccine to go with the beans and we're going to make a soupy pasta fagiola. Pasta fagioli. Yeah, this is one of the yeah. things that gets you all excited I've, I've seen yeah. over the years. I remember the first time you told me, it's like, Dude, why are you getting so excited about beans, you know? But um, um, but I didn't understand. And one of the things that I, you've taught me over these years is how to think like an Italian and think of the seasons like an Italian. Definitely. And talking about seasons, we're just firing up with broad beans. Mm. Um, and, and the beauty of the broad beans is when they're in a the bag, you open a bag and have a smell. And it, it really jumps at you and says, I am springtime. And possibly the most beautiful shade of green in nature. Yes, we've started a little bit high price for some $12, but mm. a lot of people have jumped in and bought two kilos because they'll take them home and uh, open them up and just put them in a pan for a little while while they warm up and then serve them maybe with a little bit of olive oil and salt and pepper. And, um, yeah, you can really smell and taste springtime and, and it reminds you that there's still an abundance of life out there. Thank, thank God for that. Um, thank that's, God for that's, that. It's good to know. Listen, what I might do is um, I might get the uh, the pick of the market. We will do a proper market report with you next week uh, because yes. uh, we've got an urban planner that we, uh, we're we going to be having a chat to uh, very, very shortly. So, John, tell us what is the pick of the market? Uh, the pick of the market this week? Uh, we've been eating beautiful red cabbage and savoy cabbage themed. Um, the, the colours, again, have been really spectacular with the red cabbage. Uh, we've had lovely carrots, which we've had um, the naughty way. We've fried them until they're golden brown, and we've had them in soups and uh, stuff like that in the bake. Uh, peas and beans, again, have been spectacular. Earlier in the week, they were a little bit harder to get. Uh, but there's a lot of machines picked out there, so be careful of the quality that you buy. Um, the zucchini are not liking some of the windy weather we've had. They're looking a little bit dusky rather than um, nice, bright, shiny green ones that they've been. But 
we always eat zucchini either we we um, fry them or, or we put them in with other veggies when you're making a soup or a casserole. Good for fritters. Yeah, actually, Franca did make a, a zucchini fritter the other day. Uh, um, so we do get well looked after. Yogurt uh, and mint goes well with that. Yeah, fennel spectacular. Huge, big, round, shiny bulbs. Um, I have to keep telling the people, don't be afraid of the big ones because they're very, very juicy. Those, they do them in so many ways. We usually just have them sliced up in a salad or just sliced on a plate as a palate cleanser. Mm. Um Go great yeah, with orange, right. don't they? Yeah, with orange. Fennel and orange. Light oh orange if you really want to get exotic, and they're in season now. Yeah. Um, as usual, there was an abundance of everything. There's very little that's not at its peak. So get in there and have a look. Um, look around and design your uh, menus while you're walking around the market. We're still here. Uh, and enjoy the capsicums. Um, a little bit dearer than normal. We're selling six fifty. Um, you can get it's like in the supermarkets. Yeah, probably twelve dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I haven't seen eggplants over under nine ninety. But anyway, that's why we come to you, uh, John. You've put a big smile on our face. We've had sort of a bit of a, a serious uh, top of the show. So uh, thank you for humanising it and adding your uh, beautiful observations. Look forward to seeing you next week, mate. Definitely. I hope everyone has a lovely week and be safe and hopefully we'll get out of all this soon and get back to normal and see each other face to face again. Why not? Have a food show. Have a chat to a professor of urban design. And that urban professor is Professor Marcus White from Swinburne. And uh, you have a special relationship with um, Matt Stedman. A very, very good afternoon to you, first of all. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I'm familiar with uh, Matt. You knew Matt. Matt. You said, I know Matt. Yeah. We, we, we used to play to sort of COVID-sized crowds um, <laughs> back in the 90s in, in yes. our, our various bands. Yes. <laughs> of course, Matt was in uh, the the greatest, I think, and loudest blues band in all of Frankston, Stork. Yes. Um, and your the uh, name of your band, which uh, originally came from Shep, is called... Yes. S- SPG. SPG. SPG, yes. The Special Patrol Group. But um, y- right. using your powers for good, uh, you are now a, uh, uh, a professor of urban design at Swinburne. And I thought in the little bit of time, <coughs> excuse me, in the little bit of time that we have left, I thought it might be interesting to comment on the proposal that's been put forward by the Andrews Government of Victoria. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was thinking that you wanted me to talk about the gumbo cheese toasty zoom microphone. No, we're moving, we're moving on to that. We're moving no, no, on. Okay. And also... If we, if we have time. And also if we're going to talk about, you know, what uh, potato to have on a, on a shepherd's pie as well. <laughs> you, I want you to... Okay. Okay. So, yeah, look, the um, it's a pretty interesting support package that's proposed um, quite a substantial amount to be spent. Um, I think they're $5,000 chunks of money up for grabs for setting up kind of for medium to small to medium sized um, businesses to set up out, outdoor dining, um, I think it might be three is, grand for that. I, yeah, so I, it, it, you know, that, 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 I, I haven't gone into the details. But oh, okay, the, um, yeah. Anyway, there's money there's, available. There's, yep. There's, there's chunks of money available, and um, it, it, it is sort of loosely based on the New York um, Open Streets project, um, which I guess it, it allows, um, and it's working with local 
uh, councils, local government, to basically sort of exp- expand restaurants into the outside zone near the restaurant. So in some cases, it's, it's um, you know taking up car spots mm. that uh, um, you know outside the restaurant. Or are they closing uh, off streets at all? There are some proposed closed streets through yeah. um, th- through the CBD, and I guess it'll depend on you know what the street capacities are and all of those sorts of things. So um, yeah, they're not the like you can imagine some of the little streets like I don't know Little Collins that has yeah, quite yeah. and you would imagine uh, I would imagine Flinders Lane would be considered because there's such a amazing restaurant precincts in both those streets that that would be a possibility. Um, closing off uh, Latrobe Street near yeah, you dreaming? Yeah, or Longstale and, and, Street with a tram, maybe. A, uh, yeah. And- and then some of those streets that do, you know, have traffic but have car parking, you know, they can sort of be thinned down. Um, and, and I guess, you know, I think one of the ideas is to minimise the amount of bureaucratic, um, what David Graeber calls it, um, bureaucratic BS. Yes. That, um, you know, you can get uh, these things set up quickly. There's a, a New York has a very sort of nicely laid out set of guidelines and you kind of basically self-certify in that uh, project mm. um, and and that allows this to happen quickly and I guess you know there's I, I think there's probably a lot of potential benefits with this in that you know we can potentially be opening up hospitality safely um, and it's not going to be you know whether it's going to go back immediately to the kind of numbers we were having previous to this whole thing but no well, well um, yeah but but it's hopefully going to help quite a bit and and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential benefits, and, and um, yeah, I think it, it, overall it's a pretty good strategy. Well, that's good to hear. Um, the okay, let me pose some of the problems. Some places would be more uh, <clears throat> easily uh, able to adapt to this new proposal of being able to, you know, spill out on the uh, the the street for instance. So long as, but that. Um, you have to have a, a predetermined closing of those streets because there'd be a lot of places where it's just impossible. I don't know. You might be able to get, you know, a couple chairs and tables on a footpath, but there's no way that you're going to be sailing into profitability with, with those sort of numbers. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, well, I think this is one of the challenges because... Big challenge. You know, yeah. all, all of the different streets, uh, you know, you do have totally different bits of streets have different volumes of traffic, yep. um, different kind of needs for different residents. You know, you potentially could spread, um, you know, if you don't have restaurants next to you, you can sort of spread uh, laterally, um, mm. but that's not going to be the case everywhere. Um, hey, but, can you uh, just... Uh, and, and can you just uh, expound on that a little bit? When you say laterally, what do you mean expand oh, laterally? So if you've, you know, if your shop's six metres wide, um, that's kind of one car park space. Oh, yeah, right. Yes, yes. And, and if and if you've got, uh, you know, shops next door that don't, you know, um, have restaurant-type activities, then you could potentially expand both ways. Oh, you could claim um, a little bit of that um, on either yeah, side, bookended, yeah, sort which, of, which, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, there's other challenges. I mean, as I think the issue of weather was brought up a bit earlier. Um, we, you know, Melbourne, we... It's not always Changeable. beautifully sunny yeah. and no, these no. things. No, um, and then and, yeah, I don't know. If you think of Febergeden, <laughs> you know, I don't know if people you want to be eating out and you know a, a lovely, refreshing forty-five degrees. 
with a howling yeah. northerly coming down. Well, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, I, I mean, I think there was a, a pretty hilarious piece in The Age the other day talking about, um, I, I think it was a comedy piece sort of written in the sort of posh-nosh type style, talking about how Melbournians are too sophisticated for outdoor dining and that, um, oh, you know, yeah. that we would... We need to. Uh, we don't want our cocker vans and Thai curries getting cold and corrupted by the fumes and noise of the city. Oh yes, or um, there's or there's plane tree seeds in my cocoa van. Yes, yes. please so, take this away. They, they, and and oh, probably reasonable. If you're on a you know very busy street, it can be pretty unpleasant to be sitting down to dine. But um, mm. and, and I guess this probably speaks to a much broader strategy that. Um, uh, you know, involves changing the way we move around the city, and you know, we, currently we've got a city that's fairly car dominated. Um, you know, it's been dominated by um, you know vehicle movement for the last fifty years or so. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, hopefully, this is a bit of an opportunity to change some of those movement behaviours, um, but also, you know, in in parallel with this sort of potential long-term change in the way we kind of occupy streets in terms of, mm. you know, uh, you know, opening up onto the streets and using those spaces. You know, we, I think we, we take up most of our public open space with cars and car parking. Um, it'd be pretty good to return that to things like walking, cycling and um, dining. Yeah, well, maybe so, these, these are some of the opportunities that we, we see moving forward. We've, you know, if we, we look at some sort of um, uh, a, an okay thing that has happened from this uh, this pandemic is the fact that we reassess the way that we use our urban urban environment. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, we've got this, you know, it's a perfect break. You know, it's one of the big things is changing behaviours. Um, we've got this big pause, so our behaviours have sort of stopped. Mm. Now we've got this yeah, amazing opportunity now to potentially change the behaviours, which, you know, if we can get more people walking and cycling, it's, you know, good for health and the cost of, um, you know... Uh, Everything. <laughs> it, yeah, so many co-benefits. And, yeah. and, but, but also, you know, people that walk around, they spend more money on, um, you know, in retail and hospitality, they buy more food. They do um, indeed. Hey, Professor Marcus, um, you said there's, uh, we've got about 30 seconds left and there was something you said you wanted to give a little nudge to. So uh, yes. it's so nudge this, time. It, this does relate. Um, so we're doing a study on designing safe and successful places um, and it's got, we've got an interactive uh, virtual environment survey that um, you can do online. Um, so if you just type into Google Designing Safe and Successful Places Interactive Survey, you'll find it. And Whoa, that's a, a bit... Hang on, do, do that again very, very quickly, because uh, that was sorry. that was a fair De bit... Designing? Safe and Successful Places, um, and the words Interactive Survey, and it should pop up first. Great. Well... And then the other one is our Death of Urbanism, Transitioning Through Five Stages of Grief book, um, which <laughs> if you Google that... All right, we might do that. pop up first. Thank you very, very much, Professor Marcus. Great to speak to you. Stay safe, everyone. Clockwise. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 